Hey there, my name's Tom Gentry. I'm the host of The Path to Authenticity. It's an interview podcast where, by and large, my goal is just to have a good conversation with someone that's worth listening to. And in the next few weeks, Lane will be a guest on my show. So I want to ask you to check it out. You can find it at thepathtoauthenticity.com. It's on all major podcast platforms. But I'm really here to support my friend Lane. So I want to thank you for supporting her yourself. I think she's incredible. She's funny. She's smart. She's passionate. And like me, she's a person in long-term recovery which tells me she has a lot of heart. So thanks again for checking out Recover Like a Mother. Also, please check out my show, The Path to Authenticity. So without further ado, here's the person you came to hear, Lane Kennedy. Hi, I'm Julianne, and you're listening to Recover Like a Mother. Hello, friend. How are you? I'm so glad that you've come back to listen to this episode. My name is Lane Kennedy, and this is Recover Like a Mother. Happy to be with you today. Happy to share another sober mama in recovery. Julianne, welcome to the show. Thank you. It's good to see you again. Always good to be seen above ground. For real. (laughs) You are calling in from? From... Calpe, Spain, but I'm, I live in a small town outside of Valencia, Musk is the name of it. And isn't it, isn't it Valencia? It's near Valencia. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. I love the idea that we can connect and you're on the other side of the planet. It allows me to know that there's recovery when I travel Hmm. and that I have someone to connect with. I have been to Spain several times and spent several uh, summers in Barcelona. Uh, I've been able to participate in recovery over there. And now when I go next time, you'll be there, my friend. Yeah, I'll be here. You'll be there. So we want to go back. We want to share with our listeners today, your story of recovery. What's your sober date? My sobriety date is August 20th, 1990. I just celebrated 30 years in August. Did you hear that? I can't believe it myself. It's really incredible, right? When we begin to live in long-term recovery, I forget how long it's been. Mm -hmm. Uh, I forget that like, this is just a lifestyle now. Let's go back to what brought you to that point of saying enough is enough. I want to do something different. Well, it, it actually started before that because I, I came to Spain to take a trip to get away from myself. And I actually was in NAA at the time and I had four years of sobriety, but I didn't, I didn't, I didn't stop everything. I, I put the plug in the jug, as we say, I stopped drinking, but everything else in my life was havoc. And so I thought, well, I'll take a trip, you know, and, and go to Europe. And it wasn't a matter of months before I started drinking again. This time I just picked up where I left off. You know, they have a saying that says that you get on the bus, and when you get off the bus, you get right back on at the same bus stop. Well, I did. So my my bottom was was lower, you know, than it, than it had been, and I crawled back into AA in another language because I had I'd moved and I I didn't have any. There weren't any English meetings in in the area at the time, and so I walked in and and I just was humbled. You know, I knew I screwed up and I needed to except that I really did have a problem. You know, that was one of the reasons I I obviously picked up again. 
And so this time I came in in another language. I had to listen. I couldn't speak all the time. Within a couple months, I did find an English-speaking community, and I started getting involved in service. I started doing just small things. You know, back then people smoked, and we'd clean out the ashtrays, and we'd make the coffee. And I, I was able to do the literature because that was something that I didn't require a lot of language. So I could do that. I even did the phone service. I was always terrified somebody would call and I'd have to answer it because I, I didn't feel capable in my Spanish language. But I did it. I did what they told me to do because I was afraid. And I knew that I knew what was out there and I didn't want to go out there again. And this had been after many, many years of experimenting with, with alcohol as a child. My parents are alcoholic. I grew up in an alcoholic family. And so I swore I wasn't going to be an alcoholic. Isn't that <laughs> you know, they... so typical, right? <laughs> that is so typical. I want to hear real quick before we go any further, because I, I want to get clarity. You stopped drinking for four years, and mm-hmm. then you had this great idea to go travel. And then you had, you picked up again. Yeah. And then you got sober again. Yeah. And you're drinking in a country that you don't know the language and you don't know anybody, I'm, I'm thinking. <laughs> well, I had a work situation. I, I was working. And so okay. I knew my, my work. In fact, I did probably what many people do. I, I went in and told everybody I, I didn't drink. And then I started drinking. I think they were all frightened of me and, and what I'd become. So I did have, I did have friends, but I didn't, you know, I, obviously you pick up because you're lonely and, and there's an emptiness inside of you. And so I, I had that, that bottom again. And, was it and worse? I went back to the, oh yeah. It was yeah, worse it the second worse. time around. It got worse because I added a little bit of drugs into that too. And so it pushed me a little. <laughs> well, it, back then you could smoke on the street hash and, and yeah. pot. It wasn't, uh-huh. wasn't a problem. And so that was a new awakening for me. But alcohol has always been my drug of choice because I, I could function. I could work. I, could, I mean, I'd have hangovers and be laying on the floor, but, but I, could, I could function. With pot and hash, I just couldn't. I just wanted to crawl up on the couch and go to sleep. You know, I, I couldn't operate. It's so funny how you say you, you, you could function, right? Like just alcohol, uh, you could function, but the other things you would just want to crawl up and go to sleep. What did your functioning look like? Well, I'm sure it wasn't very, in fact, I was, I was laughing, telling a story to somebody I was teaching English at the time. And many times I would go into my job, you know, tanked. I'd, I'd have a couple of drinks before I go in thinking nobody could smell it on me. Every once in a while, I get a whiff of somebody that walks by with wine or beer. And it just is, oh, the smell is just so strong. And I think I used to smell like that. And at one class in particular, it was businessmen. And I had gone into the kitchen and they had a huge bottle of wine. And I had a bottle of water. So what did I do? I put, I put the wine in the, in the water bottle and I spilled some on me. And I just didn't think anything of it. I went in the bathroom and just cleaned myself up, I thought. And obviously that class didn't continue. But, but I, I look back on that and I think, you know, that was functioning. That was, for me, right. that, was, that was a functioning alcoholic. And many times I wouldn't show up. You know, I did work as a teacher, so I had to. But I, I did almost lose my job, you know, during those 11 months of, of drinking. And I guess I just, I hit another bottom. You know, I was involved with a man that, hit on my best friend. And it was just, I, that was like the coup de gras or something. I thought this is the end. And I went back to that same room that I had gone to a year before and didn't like, 
the meeting and the same people were there <laughs> and they all just looked at me as I walked in the room and nobody said, we told you so. Nobody said, you can't come in. They just took me with open arms and said, you know, sit down and, and you're welcome. This is your home. It's so amazing. I love that you had the willingness to just show up again, right? You were broken. A lot of people don't have that. A lot of people just continue on. Exactly. There is and they don't make it back. Right. They don't, they don't make, make it, back. it back. They don't make it back because of the, the disease centers in the mind. It tells us we don't need those people. <laughs> we don't need to do that. Why would you do that? And it continues that way. And so you, you get into that room, you meet the people, you're not speaking, you're not speaking Spanish, but you begin to change. I'm sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. And you start and speaking they, Spanish. I mean, well, what? they say, they say AA is one of the best language schools. In the world. Yeah. If you want to learn a second language, I spoke some, I spoke some, but when it came time to get delving into my my recovery, I had to go into English. I needed to have an English sponsor, an English person that, that's English speaking person to help me. And, and so a couple of years into the program, I did find it. And she's still my, my sponsor today and friend. And, and we were able to work through things. Another, another coincidence, I, I went to Barcelona, you know, when you're, you're ready to learn, the teacher appears and she was there. And, and we've grown, we've grown very close. I now have somebody else because I, I kind of grew out of her this last couple of years, but, but we're still good friends. And through her, I was able to get through um, a different recovery, not like the first one. And I'm not saying that what I did those four years was waste. I needed to do it. I needed to, to have those four years of not drinking and work whatever program I was working to get a taste of, of something, but it all comes back to that first step, which is accepting that you have a, have a problem, you know, that your life is unmanageable. And that's what I couldn't do. I, I really thought I could still drink again. And I think that's one of the problems with our disease is that it's constantly trying to convince us that we don't have constantly over the years, you know, you've got 30 years now of history, looking at your life and being in it. And you've, you have a child. Two, I mean, how, how many kids do you have? I have a, I have a stepdaughter and I have a, a foster daughter from the Ukraine. And now we have a grandson living with us. So it's an unconventional motherhood. <laughs> but that's, if you weren't sober though, do you think you could have had an unconventional life and be a mother? No, because we went through infertility too. And, and I think you know, I've heard, I've heard your podcast on infertility and it is, it's a real hard road to go through and we were not able to conceive. So we did the, the route of fostering a Ukrainian girl and, and she's now part of our lives. She's 22 and we've, uh, we've known her now for 13 years or 14 years. My stepdaughter was just, I was thrown into that as a stepmother. I, I, if there's a stepmother out there, I, I just want to hug you because it's really a hard role to take. Let's talk about um, that. Let's, let's talk about that because that right there, I, I grew up with a stepmother and I, you know, <laughs> the wicked be, witch, she, wicked witch. She could be dead. I still, I don't have a good relationship with her at all. And that's unfair to say, I don't have a relationship with her period. But if I saw her on the street, I would be kind. I wouldn't walk the other way. There is something about step parents being a stepmother that's different than being a biological Right. Oh yeah. And yeah. you were thrown into that in your recovery. 
How old, well, how, how many years sober were you at that point? I just, I, I got, I did what you're not supposed to do. I got involved with somebody right away in the program. <laughs> my, my husband was nine months sober and I was three months sober, oh, but we it. had, we had guidance. We had sponsors. We were both very integrated in the program. We didn't tell anybody either that we were dating. It was kind of a secret. That's not prohibited. It's a suggestion. You know, and I understand why I saw people get involved with each other and go out and drink again. You know, it is, it's the first thing you think of when you get in a fight with somebody. So we were, we were thrown together or whatever. And he had a 14 year old daughter who had issues back then and still does. And so I was wanting to be the mom. Oh, fun. You know, I was in my thirties. <laughs> this is going to be wonderful. We're going to go shopping together. <laughs> These things and, Oh boy, I had awakening, a big awakening. You're never the mother. You're never, ever the mother. And now her mother has passed. She's, she, we are the only grandparents and, and uh, parents in the family. I could never replace her mother. And I tried, you know, but I, you I wanted... was just going to say, did you try to, do... Oh yeah. And that's, no, you think you'll be the better mother. There were issues with her mother. There was dependency issues, drug issues, all kinds of stuff going on. So of course I was the better choice but it's not that easy. You know, your mother is your mother and she will be till you die. You know, that's what it comes down to. And I had a wonderful relationship with my mother up and down, of course, because she was an alcoholic, but she died with 33 years of sobriety. And, and we get had, out of here. You know, Wait a minute. Okay. Pause. Yeah. pause. <laughs> okay. Julianne, you didn't, you, this is, you're sneaking this in. So your mom yeah. is sober. My mom was sober. Yeah. When you got she, sober. When I got sober, she watched me go out again too. And <sighs> she didn't, she really did it with love. She didn't, Incredible. you know, and I, I asked her later, I said, how could you watch me go out again? And mm -hmm. she said, I just figured you'd find your way. Okay. There. My dad, my dad was not so lucky. My dad was one of those that rarely have you seen a person fail that <laughs> thoroughly follows our path. He just could not get honest with himself and he ended up dying from drinking. But my mom, um, was a light for me. She really, really was until the very end. And so I wanted that relationship with my stepdaughter, but of course that didn't, that didn't happen. And we had dependency, the drugs and the alcohol came into it. So her father had issues. She had issues and we had a lot of years of health, you know, basically, I don't know if any ever has ever gone through that where you have a, a child that's in dependency and drug dependency or alcohol. It's not fun. So your mom is sober she watches you. She's a part of your life. Do you think that helped you find oh, your sobriety? Yeah. Oh yeah. In fact, I think I came into the program for that four years because of my parents. I wanted to be closer to them and I saw that they were in the program and I thought, well, I'll get in the program too. But I don't know that I really thought it, it meant I had to stop drinking forever. Wow. Um, a day at a time. And there's five of us in the family. There's five siblings. I have, you know, there's four I have three sisters and a brother and one of them is in the program One should be in the program. And, you know, it's, it's a family disease. It's a family disease. And so here I come into a stepmother situation and another family disease <laughs> and it was rough, you know, and then she got into the program, the mother, my, my stepdaughter got in the program. We, we actually healed a little bit and, and then she got into pills and, you know, just over, oh, okay. over the counter stuff. Okay. Let's, let's, we can, that's another conversation we can just jump yeah. right into. Yeah. It's you know, people don't talk about pills and they're over the counter pills. 
I don't know what that means. Yeah, those the ones that you can get for sleeping and actually uh, okay. prescribed stuff. There's ways to get around prescriptions, prescription medicine. I know in the States that Oxy, Oxycon is real big. And yep. Yep. here it's Xanax yep. is what she's, you know, and it just depends on what, what it is. But if you have a dependency problem, you shouldn't be taking prescription drugs or you should let your doctor know. And I, I do. You know, I mean, I have that relationship with my doctor and it's very easy to get in trouble again with it. And I so, see this so often. Again, I see things so often because it, and I, that sounds like a broken record, but we start off and I've heard this from women that I've worked with where they're having trouble sleeping. Let's just take the sleep example, because this is so pertinent to where we're at in our culture right now. Everybody is anxious, anxiety parenting is really hard. And so I have had the question asked to me, uh, I, I just need to get some sleep. And there's, you know, some stuff that you can buy at the Walgreens, mm. Tylenol PM. And that's where it has started. Yeah, that is where it has it started. Can. And then it gets worse. And then it goes on to the NyQuil. And then it goes to the doctor, getting something more. And then it becomes habit. And then it becomes an addiction and getting off or keeping that secret. I'm sure your stepdaughter doesn't want to talk about this or didn't want to talk about this. And I'm sure she wasn't doing it with malice. Maybe I don't, I don't know her, but. Well, she's a lost soul. There's uh, a lot of, a lot of stuff going on there. I mean, I've, since then I've gone to Al-Anon and I've learned a lot about other stuff too, but it's a disease. You know. It's so tricky to navigate because, and then there's a child there too, you know, a nine year old, 10 year old now just had a birthday. And so there was a child born and all that and has witnessed a lot of stuff. And, and, and it's sad, you know, we've had to take over and become grandparents immediately. And he's living with us now for at least a couple of years. I don't know how long this is going to go. She's, she's clean and sober, but it's hard to believe, you know, <laughs> you start to not trust people. Like people didn't trust me when I said I'd stop drinking. Well, now I'm on the other end and I have to just go with the flow and, and, and work on him, you know, focus on, on my grandson. Right. Which means focusing on you, right? Stay, keeping your side of the street clean, keeping your heart open so you can be a grandparent so you can be present for him. And I talk a lot about the idea of being present as a sober mom, sober grandma, that if we were drinking and using that, we can't do it. And now that you're sober a long time, there are other things that come into play, right? I want to get into like, we're both in long-term recovery and there are other things that come into play and start messing with the head and start mm. affecting your sobriety. So I would like to know if there's anything in the last, I don't know, five years that has come in and swooped in and distracted you from your recovery, right? Mm. From that serene life that we're afforded through our sobriety. Well, I think this has, I think taking my grandson on full time, but before that, I think the infertility probably was a struggle. I'm grateful that I was in the program then because I, I was able to rely on and luckily we had some good medical advice and they told us to stop trying because I know people that have just gone into the gutter 
trying, trying, trying to get pregnant. Um, stopping smoking was another issue. That was a real hard thing for me. How long did um, it take you to stop smoking? Ooh, I, I quit. I was probably, I was in my 40s, 20 years ago. So I was 10, maybe 10 years sober. And I didn't start smoking until I came to Spain. So I, I that, that was one sense. of the things. Yeah. Why not start? Yeah. yeah. But I immediately, you know, two packs a day, a normal thing for me. And now I can't even stand the smell of it. Plus I've lost people to, to cancer. But I think those, but it, lately the COVID, I think probably this last two years, 28, 29, 30 years of sobriety, I've had a big wake up this, this last two years. And you and I have met in, the, in that time. I wasn't doing a lot in my sobriety and I started visiting other groups through the Zoom and seeing a lot of recovery, you know, that I didn't have. And I was seeing people with 10 years, five years, one year, months, and they were blowing me away. And I was thinking, Julianne, you have 30 years, you know, what do you have to show for it? Let's get your ass going. And that's when I kind of fired my sponsor and started delving into those books again. I had to get them off the shelf, blow the dust off of them. Some of them I couldn't find and reread a lot of the literature. That right there is so beautifully stated. It's as if we forget that we need to plug in every day. And visiting other groups, I love when I'm, again, afforded that opportunity to hear somebody that I can be present enough to hear somebody be so fired up for their recovery. And I immediately think, what? Wait a minute. I should be fired up. Have you ever fallen into one of those shame spirals of like, why am I not doing that? Why can I do better? How come I'm not fired up like that? Yeah, I think so. I think it depends on, I mean, I'm, I meditate now daily and I think it depends on how I start my day. This, this last two weeks have been kind of dark because there's a lot of behavioral things going on with my grandson. And it's real easy to just not want to get out of bed. You know, you get up in the morning and you think, I don't want to face the world today. I'm tired. But I know that there's other people out there that have just the same problems and, and even more. And that's where I listen. You know, I, I, I listen to other people and I start to hear these stories and know that I'm not alone, you know, constantly. It just bombards me how people can have sexual abuse and, and all these horrible things in the world happen to them and be victims. And yet they're so positive and, and so ready to live and ready to help. And really what it comes down to, Lane, is, is thinking about others. You know, when I get on myself and I start to think about others and, and, you know, when you have a child in the house, you don't have any choice. <laughs> you, have, you have to think about the other. But it does get you out of yourself and you're able to look at things with a different perspective. Do you ever notice when he's around? Yeah, you just said it beautifully. You can't think about you. No. Does that ever make you resentful? Oh, yeah. And, and okay. I'm not the great, I'm not a good grandmother. I get mad if I do say, you're so selfish. Or I, I get have those moments where I, I regret it later and have to apologize to him. But yeah, it's rough. You know, having a, when you're in your sixties and you're, you're having to be a mother again, mm -hmm. it's hard. I'm tired, you know, yeah. and a lot of times it's me, 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 me. Kids are very egocentric and especially a child with problems. 
and learning disabilities and, and other stuff and has lived in what he has experienced for the last nine years. I have to keep remembering that. And that's where Al-Anon comes in. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's where the mm -hmm. Al-Anon program has helped me. I just started going this year. I'm married to an alcoholic. I've, I've got a stepdaughter who's, who's a drug addict alcoholic. And now I have this grandson who's just like my stepdaughter. So mm -hmm. it's like living with my stepdaughter, you know, in, in, a, in a disease. And he's learned all these behaviors and he's manipulative and, you know, and it's not his fault. And that's what I have to keep telling myself. It's not his fault. He's a victim, you know, and I have to let it go because I, he's not an adult. You know, he can't, he didn't make those choices. Yesterday, he said something really powerful to me. He said, did you have a hard childhood? He calls me Yaya. We say Yaya in Spanish. And I said, yeah, honey, I did. My parents were alcoholic. They drank. And, I, and he said, poor thing. And I, he said, do you think I've had a hard childhood? And I said, yeah, you have. And I said, but you know what? It makes you stronger. You'll be a stronger person because of it. But I was so, he's so perceptive sometimes. He just, you know, really blows me away. And you just want to hug him. You know, you, you want to make it all go away, but it doesn't go away. It's still there on a daily basis. And so it's been a trial this year. And thank God for Zoom. Thank God for for the, all these groups that we have and you and these podcasts and everything, because I, I don't know how I could have gotten through it. You know, this last, this last two years, we're coming out of our, our shutdown now and we'll be able to travel more and stuff, but I don't see this going away. I think that we're all going to be real tied together for a long time. I do too. I totally agree. I, I want to touch on what he said. Did you have a hard childhood or have I had a hard childhood and you having the ability to not sugarcoat it and just be able to tell the truth. And he is going to remember that my son is so insightful. It kind of, it kind of freaks me out a little bit, but I think that's a real gift. Yeah. Like, I think it's a real gift and he teaches me. So I'm sure he is teaching you. Just yeah, as much. Definitely. The, yeah. the patience, the tolerance, the love, the acceptance, all the things that we learn as we get sober. And it's like we learn we learn how to be adults. I was thinking about that yesterday. Like adulting is not easy. But <laughs> I don't have a choice at this point to do anything differently. The idea of picking up a drink is devastating. And picking up a pill to take away or just cut that you know, just give me a little ease scares the living, you know, crud out of me. As you've journeyed over the years, I, I still, I want to know if there is something that has gotten under your skin that like, what took you away from your program? I guess that's what I want to know. Cause you said, mm -hmm. you know, after, you know, 20, 28, 29, 30, you had this awakening, like you started visiting other groups, but what took you away from being invested in your Oh, program? I think you can get into the old timer thing, you know, but, oh, I've got the years. I don't need to do the work. I'm fine. I'm, you know, as they say in the literature, don't sit on your laurels. I think I was sitting on my laurels. I was, I was the one that, you know, I just go in and say how many years I have and people go, oh, you know, and I, it's funny. I have a friend 
who's a neighbor actually in the program and and he's very much stuck in that role and I keep trying to grab him and get him out and get him excited again and he's very set you know this is the way you do it I'm an old timer I don't need to listen to anybody and it's and he called me the other day and said do you think that we're keeping that we're we're, we're scaring the newcomers away. I told him the truth. I said, yeah, I do sometimes. I do think we do. You know, when I came in four year, the four, my first time in AA, I came in, some old men sitting around coffee said, oh, you haven't drunk, honey. You need to go out there again. Or you don't have a good enough drunk log. And it really pissed me off. And I, I hope I never say that to anybody. But it, I do think there's that tendency to think, oh, I've, I've arrived. I don't need to do anything. I'm okay. I can just sit here and go to the meeting and share my story, which is the same story every single week <laughs> until everybody falls asleep and the same old, same old, same old. And that's what I was doing. I was coasting. And there was even a time where I st- kind of stopped going to meetings. You know, I would, well, I don't need to go. You know, I've got other stuff. I've got a life. And then it would spread out more and more. I think it's a real tendency, especially when you're involved in service and you do all the jobs and you get to the top and then you're done, you know? So then what do you do? And a lot of times people go out and drink. Because they drink yeah. again, people drink again. That I was just thinking, yeah. thank God you yeah. didn't drink again. No, no, thank God I didn't drink again. I think I was just had it step in the program and I'm so surrounded with my friends from the program that I think it probably just kept me in line. But I was in that group. I was in that old timers group, you know, and that we just don't have to do anything. We can just sit here and tell the newcomers what to do. It's a, it's a challenging place to be and it happens and people don't talk about it enough. So I love that you're bringing this up. What are you doing I, now to keep things fresh? Oh, I do. I do meditation and I also do Pilates. And as I was telling you before we started, I, I really been getting into body acceptance and the diet culture and how the diet culture doesn't work. You know, diets don't work because I really do think that women are oppressed and, and don't have a good image of their bodies. And I, I connected with Taryn Bromfit and her Embrace movie. And I watched that and it was a real eye opener for me that there's all these women all over the world, everywhere, and, and, and they don't feel happy with their bodies. You know, they're not content. And it's a whole movement right now, intuitive eating, mindful eating. There's all kinds of things you, you can call it. But basically, that diets don't work. You know, that the dieting is something that society has pushed us to do because we're not acceptable the way we are. And so that's something that I've been working on. I'm, I'm learning Russian. I'm, I'm doing, I, I'm retired now. And so I have to keep myself busy and my mind busy when my grandson is at school. And so I just try and, and, and get to the gym and work on my health, you know, because that's what's happening in our sixties. I think a lot of my friends are, are getting unhealthy you know, and some of them have passed on. And so I, I need to, to take care of my body and have a good attitude towards it. And so that's what I'm working on now. Are you in acceptance of your body? I'm getting there. I'm getting there. You're I have a much better, I have a much better body image than I did two years ago, but it's still, it's still a, it's still a conflict. You know, I, I was dealing with it today. What I'm trying to deal with now is even what I say to other women in my head, 
you know, or, oh, look at her. I'm not as heavy as she is, or, you know, just those bashing things. And that it's, it's a lifetime. You know, I'm, my mother was that way. And I grew up that way. You couldn't be too thin, too tan or too rich. And so it's always been a goal. I have a sibling that spends millions of dollars a year and her physique on and I don't want to do that. I don't think that that's important. And but I'm I'm learning. You know, I'm I'm still learning. I'm always I'm always being taught. I think that's an important attitude to have. Being teachable, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I had uh, Maggie Landis on the show episode. I believe it's fifteen. Everyone can go back and listen to where we talk about intuitive eating and diets don't work, and the importance of being true to you. And how you want to empower your body. That was a really uh, empowering episode. And I think as sober women, again, we have this awakening. And we can have these awakening on all kinds of different ideas. So the body is one of them. And saying, no, I'm not going to be a victim to society's pressure. Or what Mm -hmm. I should look like. Or what I should be eating. Or the diet that I should be following right? As an empowered, sober woman, we can make different choices. So I love that you are stepping up and owning it. No, and it's what makes you feel good. You know, everybody's beautiful. Everybody has something that to offer to the world. And, and uh, we have these temples, we have these bodies, and we need to take care of them. Because at my age, at 64, I notice things. I notice that I didn't take care of this part of my body and I'm, I'm reaping the benefits or the the not benefits. And so I, I need to correct that. Amen. Sister. Is there anything that you're reading right now? That's exciting. Oh, I'm trying to think. I've been really reading a lot about Bill and Bob and the history of uh, Alcoholics Anonymous. But as far as reading is concerned, I'm reading Radical Acceptance, Tamara. I think her last name is Tamara. I'm beginning to see that a lot of it is just what we get in our 12-step program. But it's good to hear. you know. And it's also good to hear that I've dealt with a lot of the things in my past. Because some, some of these clients that she talks about in her book are, are so devastating. And, and still grieving things that happened years and years and years ago. And I like that, that I don't have to do that anymore. It's, it's based on Buddhism too. And so I'm, I'm learning a little bit more about Buddhism, but that's yeah. the book I'm reading right now. It's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy. Yeah. yeah. And she found Buddhism and her path mm-hmm. as a result of stopping, putting down the yeah. path. Right? Yeah. That's, I think that is what happens so often is, you know, we say, oh, there's these spiritual teachers out there in the world, but before they became spiritual teachers, most of them were drunks. Mm-hmm. Most of them suffered from a mental illness. Most of them had troubles. And so they made a decision to stop that one action that we're talking about, which is stopping drinking mm-hmm. and finding not only service, but they've, they tap into that connection with that spirit, that higher power, whatever you want to call it. Are you tapped into that higher power? Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. I wouldn't be here if I wasn't, I wouldn't be talking to you. It's definitely a part of my daily practice. Yeah. So good. So good. Julianne, I want to thank you so much for hanging out with us and sharing your recovery and being a recovery mother. I know it has Mm. been 
a journey for you and you are still in it. Any parting words? Oh, just that I'm sure there's other grandmothers out there that are doing what I'm doing. I think it's a trend right now where you're having to raise your kids' kids. And, uh, and I'm reading a lot about it. So I, I just want to give you all a big hug because I think it, it's a rough journey. But hopefully it'll reap benefits. It will reap the benefits in the little one's life. Maybe not in this very moment, but he's going to look back and know that he was taken care of. Absolutely. Julianne, thank you so much for hanging out with us and being on the show today. Thank you. Mama, thanks for listening. May you find something bright, something light, and something so delicious that fills you up so you can be the best you can be. Until next time, take good care. I hope you enjoyed that episode. Long-term recovery is such a gift. I want to invite you to take a look at Mindful Safeguard coaching program that I run over at Recover Like a Mother. You can find out more information about long-term recovery being possible for you. It can be possible. This program is dedicated to you if you permanently want to change your habits, routines, up-level your life, and ultimately your freedom. It's an eight-week program, and you can start anytime. You can find out more information at Recover.